0: Uh, scientists tell us that uh, out in space there are these uh, black holes. They are places where giant stars, if I understand correctly, have sort of collapsed on themselves and create these black areas, these black spaces, and there is this incredible gravitational pull around these black spaces that seems to just suck everything right into it like water going down a drain. Now scientists don't know exactly what happens when something gets sucked into the black hole, um, for obvious reasons, they really haven't been able to convince anybody to, you know, travel up there and get close enough to see what really happens. But it just draws everything in. You know, the issues we've been talking about in our current series, in a lot of ways, resemble a different kind of a black hole. We've been talking about the enemy within, and we've talked about topics like pride, and bitterness, anger. And laziness, and all of those are things that can sort of suck us into a kind of black hole in our lives. if you uh, have missed any of the four weeks along the way, I'd encourage you to jump online to our website and there you can listen or download the mp3 or the uh, messages are available on iTunes as a podcast and I encourage you to catch up on all these things that we've been talking about because I think they are really important issues in our lives now today I want to talk about the last enemy within that we're going to look at called Gluttony. And I know immediately when you hear that, and even based on the things we did earlier, you think food. But don't tune me out on this, because honestly, there is a whole lot more to it than just food. In fact, gluttony could be defined this way. Gluttony is uncontrolled desires that cloud our vision and darken our minds. Like a black hole, gluttony can change the way we see life. Maybe a simpler definition is gluttony is being mastered by our appetites. Or even more simply, it is just too much. In fact, I think it looks a lot like this. true, isn't it? Gluttony appeals to our appetites. It sucks us in and then it masters us, doesn't it? Now, as I said earlier, most of the time when we say gluttony, we immediately begin to think food. And certainly that's one of the issues that can be true in our lives. Gluttony is an issue in America. Do you know that the statistics say there are over 100 million Americans that are overweight or obese? That would be 60 percent of American adults and that number has doubled since 1980. Anybody here from Mississippi? Okay, good, I can tell you then. Um, one in four adults in Mississippi is obese. And uh, here's more startling than that. O- obesity is now the second leading cause of preventable death in America, second only to smoking. So it is, among other things, one issue. By the way, I heard about a man who found a genie in a bottle. And the genie said, hey, I'll grant you three wishes. The man said, okay, first thing is I'd like to have a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account. The genie said, it's done. Here's the account number handing him a piece of paper. He said, second wish, I'd like to have a BMW in the driveway. The genie said, no problem. There it is. He looked out the window. There's the BMW. Then the man said, now I would like to be irresistible to women. Jeannie said, no problem, it's done. And he turned the man into a box of chocolates. Now there was a time when food probably was the only issue connected to gluttony. But in our culture of such abundance, I am convinced there are now a lot of other things that, like black holes, suck us in and master us. There are a lot of other things that... Reign over our appetites, that they're simply just too much of in our lives. In fact, pick your gluttony. Maybe for you it is food. Maybe for you that what has mastered your appetites is technology of some kind. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it is clothes. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's television. Maybe for you it's shopping. Or maybe for some of us in the room, it's sports. Pick your gluttony. But all of these things, if we allow them, can master our appetites. And they have the capacity to to cloud our vision, to rob clarity in our life, to steal away the joy and vitality of everyday life. And here's what the Bible says about these things. How do we keep these things in balance? Well, the Bible says this. The Bible says everything is permissible for me. That would include all those things we just talked about in the right context. All of them are permissible. They're not necessarily bad in and of themselves. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And He goes on to say this. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And when we allow any of those things to master us, There are consequences. Those things I just talked about, it clouds our vision and judgment. It takes away clarity in our lives. And we need to be careful that we don't allow those things to cloud our vision. Now understand this. Our desires in and of themselves are not bad. In fact, those desires come from particular needs that God has wired us to have. Uh, Jewish psychologist Abraham Maslow did a study a number of years ago where he published a list of what he perceived to be our top needs in life. And if you read through his list, most of them, or maybe all of them, line up with what you would find in the Bible that God says are our needs, needs that have come from Him. Maslow said some of our needs are physiological needs. That's food and water and exercise. He said we have a need for safety and security in our lives. And that's true, isn't it? We need that sense of security. We have a a need for belongingness. We want to feel like we're connected, that we're known and we are we know others. Uh, He said we have a need for worth and self-esteem. And that's so true, isn't it? Think what happens when people have a low self-esteem, the things that come out in their lives. He said another need was self-actualization, the idea that I can be all that I was created to be. He said another need that we have in our lives is for beauty and order. And all of those things are true. The problem is that in our pursuit of meeting those needs, sometimes we stop at the wrong place. And we try to find satisfaction and gratification in the wrong things instead of finding it in God. And we get sucked in and mastered by our appetites. I uh my my brother would love that I'm going to tell this story. He's a rather successful businessman in the Midwest. And if he knew that I was telling the story and that it would later be on the Internet, he probably wouldn't be very happy. But I'm going to do it anyway, because he's not here. When um, we were children growing up, uh, I don't think this was ever an issue for me that I can remember, but he, he had a blankie, can you identify? A blankie that he carried everywhere he went. That's not my brother, by the way. Um, everywhere he went, he carried this blankie. We could not leave home without it. I read this week about a four-year-old child who had the same problem. Everywhere he went, he carried this blanket. It was worn and tattered and smelly. So one day his grandfather took him to Toys R Us and said to him, Son, I'll buy you anything in the store if you'll give me your blankie to keep. You know what choice the little boy made? Kept his blankie. He was attached to it. And sometimes our desires have a way of attaching us to things and they cloud our vision and we make really poor choices. I mean, what kid really in their right mind would not give up a blanket to have anything in the store? And yet with the same tendency at times, we hang on to things in our lives. Have you heard this old proverb? You are... Actually, it's a modern proverb. You are what you eat. You become what you desire. Do you know there's now actually physical chemical proof that there is some truth to that you see in our bodies and I'm not sure I understand all the ins and outs of this but to the best of my ability to explain it all of us in our bodies have uh, peptides or a kind of cells they're kind of like these little green dudes in our in our bodies and as we feed these little green dudes with certain desires in our lives it increases their desire for more of it chemically And so if I feed these little green dudes with food and that's my thing, then after a while they say, hey man, let's have some more french fries. Or maybe I feed them sexually and so they say, hey, let's let's sit around and think about that woman at work a little bit longer. Or whatever it is, whatever I am feeding these with, whatever appetite I'm feeding, these little green dudes create more and more of a need for this in our lives. In fact, they actually multiply. And one day you might have two million of these little green dudes that are saying, give us more of this. And another week later, you might have four million of them that are saying, give us more of that. Give us more of that. But here's the thing. We are the leader of these little green dudes. We really are. We are the leader of our desires. We dictate what our desires are. We determine what we're going to feed in our lives. And the problem is we sometimes feed the wrong things in our lives and we get sucked into the black hole of gluttony and our appetites master us with the wrong things. So here's my question today. So so what do I do? How do I make sure that I am in charge? That I am creating the right desires in my life? That I'm feeding the right things to these little green dudes in my body? What do I do if I already find myself in the black hole of gluttony? How do I get out of it? Well, guess what? The Bible has an answer. In fact, I hope you brought your Bible today as always. And I want to encourage you to take it out right now and open to Hebrews chapter 12. It's in the kind of the back part of the New Testament towards the end of the Bible there. And we're going to look at three verses that I think are really important to an answer of how do I get out of the black hole of gluttony? So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, understand that in the previous chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer has listed off person after person after person. It's kind of the who's who of the Bible. It's the who's who of people who have lived out their faith. And one person after another after another, the writer has said, these people are people to be commended because they have placed their trust in God. He says, so we're we're surrounded. They've been an example to us by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Those appetites that so easily pull us in, suck us in, and begin to master us. Throw those off. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. us. Let's take the journey of life. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. Now, I see several things here, several um, reminders, several protective elements that can help us get out of the black hole of gluttony or stay away from it. The first one is this. We need to learn from the example of faithful followers. We need to learn from the example of faithful followers. We need to go back to some of these people that we read about in the Bible. And you know what? They were just regular people like us. They were. Sometimes I think we read their stories and we make them out to be some kind of mythological superhero. And they're not. They're just regular people who at some point in their life made the decision that they would place their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ, in God. And they would do what God says to do. In fact, if you go back just a few verses into chapter 11, listen to some of the things the writer has to say about these heroes of the Bible. Verse 32 in chapter 11 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, who through placing their trust in God, listen to the things these guys did, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Just a normal day, right? And then notice this next phrase. Whose weakness was turned to strength. Friends, that's part of the secret of following their example. By placing their trust in God, their weakness was turned to strength. And our weakness, our being drawn into the black hole of gluttony, the first step in stopping that process is to place our trust in God and allow our weakness to be turned to strength. It goes on to say this, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Learn from their example. There is a, a tradition at Ohio State, and probably I know at Michigan too, and probably a lot of other universities, most of them, that uh, in football games, uh, at Ohio State, particularly on the day they play Michigan and other games throughout the season and probably at other universities on the day they play their big rivals, that the alumni from the team will return, all of the great players of the past. And these great players will make a tunnel from the end zone all the way down the field. And so when the current players come out of the locker room and they get ready to take the field for the final time, they come out and they are faced with this tunnel of all of these greats of the past who are there cheering them on, encouraging them towards victory as they take the field that day. And maybe the next time you stand looking at that appetite in your life that seems to have mastered you, maybe you need to picture that as you take the field, you are lined up on both sides are all of these great heroes of the Bible whose weakness was turned to strength because they placed their trust in God and they are cheering for you to make the right choice in your life. The second protective element that I see in this story is to look to Jesus. Do you see that there? It says fix your eyes on Jesus. When we begin to focus our attention on Jesus, it can help us to get our eyes off of these things that master us. Now notice, it says fix your eyes on Jesus. Not take a quick glance at Him or just consider Jesus. But fix your eyes on Jesus. It's a construction term. It means to to fasten your eyes or to cement your gaze. To look at nothing but Jesus. Don't allow other things to distract you. And sometimes that's our problem, isn't it? We're looking at everything but Jesus. You know, Jesus is the one that can meet all of our needs. Think about Maslow's list. What about our physiological needs? Jesus is the one who meets those needs. Remember what Jesus was teaching one day? He was teaching about the lilies of the field. He said, look at the lilies of the field and how beautiful they are. He said, now, don't you think if God cares about them, that He cares about you enough that He'll provide for your basic needs in life? Jesus is the one that meets our needs for security and safety. The Bible says that God is our refuge. In other places, it says it's our, our strength. It's our, it's our fortress. That it, He's a rock. Are you afraid of things in life? The source of security and safety is a relationship with God. He, he takes care of our need for belonging. He invites us into a relationship with Him and then He places us, if we'll let Him, in a community of Christ followers like this, the church. He meets our need for self-actualization, doesn't He? With Jesus in my life, I can become all that I was intended to be. He he meets my need for beauty and order. He is the embodiment of beauty and order. Look at His creation and the beauty and order that He placed there. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if all those little green dudes in your body were shouting, we want more of Jesus, we want more of Jesus. That's the greatest desire that we could ever have in our lives. Third, if we want to have some protection from gluttony in our lives, we need to throw off what entangles us. We need to throw off those things that keep luring us in. Now, how do we do that? Well, the first thing I suggest is we need to sin boldly. Those are the words of Martin Luther, a leader in the church in history. But he didn't mean what you think. Now, what Martin Luther meant when he said sin boldly was that when we sin, we need to be bold enough to call it what it is, both in our minds and as we talk to other people about our lives. We need to call sin, sin. So if it's food that is your lure that causes you to struggle, the next time that somebody tries to give you seconds or thirds at a meal, and you need you need to say, think to yourself, I am not going to feed those little green dudes that. Now, Don't say that part to them, but say to them, you know, no, I, I don't want that to have control over my life. Maybe for you, if it's alcohol that you struggle with, for the guys ask you to go out after work for a drink, you need to be bold enough to say to them, no, that gets control of my life too easily. I can't be involved. Maybe for you it's some kind of, of technology or, or tech toys that just keep taking more and more of your life. And you need to call it what it is and say to others around you, you know what, I need to eliminate some of those things from my life. We need to sin boldly. Secondly, if we're going to throw off our entanglements, we need to practice fasting. Now, fasting, like gluttony, isn't always just related to food fasting is the idea of abstaining from something in our lives so that we kind of stop the process of being lured into the black hole by that appetite by that desire and part of the goal of fasting is that we would replace fasting with something that is better in our lives fasting doesn't have to just be from food if there are other things in your life, other things that are mastering your appetites, other things in your life that there's just too much of it, then maybe it's time to practice some fasting from it. Maybe for you it's fasting from technology. That there are just some time periods in your life when you say, I'm turning off the cell phone, I'm putting the Blackberry away, this stuff is controlling my life and I need a fast from it. Maybe, and I think this is a big one in our culture today, maybe it's a fast from television. Because you know what? Television controls a lot of time in our lives, doesn't it? And so maybe it's a day a week or a week a month or some time period that you say, you know what? We're just turning the TV off. We're unplugging it. We're not going to watch it. Because it takes too much of our lives. It is controlling us. Maybe it's sports. I wouldn't suggest fasting from it until about two and a half weeks from now when March Madness is over. But at that point, maybe. That's a good time too. I mean, who really cares about baseball and the NBA? You know? What is it in your life? What is it that's controlling you? Maybe it's time to fast from it so that you can begin the process of regaining control over your desires and replacing them with something that points you To Jesus. Did you hear that last part? Because that's really important. When you fast from those things, replace it with something that points you to Jesus. Richard Wormbrand uh, was a Class A sinner uh, in his life. I mean, you pretty much name it, and he was involved in it. Uh, He loved to party. He loved to sin. And he was involved in all kinds of things in his life until one day Richard Wormbrand somehow found Jesus Christ. And he heard the story of Jesus and Jesus' love for him and Jesus' death on the cross. And Richard decided, I'm going to step across the line of faith and I'm going to follow Jesus. Richard was so passionate about it that within a short period of time he actually became a pastor. But Richard lived in communistic Romania just after World War II. And being a Christian, and especially being the pastor of a church, was not acceptable. And so Richard was arrested, stripped of everything that was important to him, stripped of everything that he valued in life, his family, his home, his church, and thrown in prison, a horrible prison. Thrown in a a dark cell, cement floor, his clothing taken away. And that's where he existed for a number of months. Richard Wormbrand would tell you, that while he was there, it was some of the best days of his life. Because there, stripped of all of his desires, stripped of all of those appetites in life that had he wrestled with for so many years, he really found God. In fact, Richard Wormbrand writes, There were days that I danced with God in that cell. See, for Richard Wormbrand, it wasn't until he found himself in prison that he was actually set free. And some of us need something to happen in our lives and maybe it's fasting that begins to strip away those things and we replace those things with Jesus Christ in our lives. One more thing that I think we need to do if we want to throw off the things that entangle us and that last thing is we need to to practice simplicity. Once you have unseated gluttony in your life, you need to practice simplicity. Simplify your life. Now, trust me, I know in our culture, In the world that we live in, trying to simplify your life is extremely difficult. It is a tough battle. Dallas Willard says that simplifying your life or simplicity is identifying a few consistent principles in your life and building your life around those principles. Or in other words, it's identifying what's really important in my life and then building and structuring your life around what you have determined is most important. Now the problem is, in most of our lives, we let our desires dictate to us what will be important. But that's backwards. What really needs to happen is that we need to dictate to our desires what is important. And we need to build our lives around those things that are really valuable to us. We need to tell those little green dudes in our lives, you're not in control. I'm in control. And I'm going to determine what is important in my life. And I am going to practice simplicity and build my life around those things. I love this quote from Richard Foster. He says, Christ followers should do less and be more. Think about that. Christ followers should do less and be more. And if we're really honest, if we were to look in the mirror this morning, a lot of us would have to admit that we do less and we have more when the opposite ought to be true we ought to do less and be more Uh, you've uh, most of you know the story of my oldest son michael Uh, he is a cancer survivor and a little over a year ago finished his uh, chemotherapy treatments which went on for about a year and placed him in the hospital every third week for about a week at a time now during that time um, i was thinking about this in our life group the other night as we were talking about some other things and it just Reminded me, you know, during that time when we would go to the hospital, we didn't take a lot of stuff along. I mean, we took what was necessary. But we realized when we were going to the hospital for those days, we weren't going to be comfortable. We didn't want to be there for the long haul. This wasn't our home. We just went there out of necessity. And when we would go there, we had just two or three things in mind. We went there for Him to get well, to get the care He needed, We wanted Him to know that He was loved by His family. And then we wanted to get home. And I think that's God's plan for all of our lives here on earth. He doesn't want us to get too comfortable. He doesn't want us to let our desires determine our direction. He doesn't want us to think this is the end. This is where it all ends. Now, I think He wants us to have a similar attitude. I think He wants us to get well. And you know what? All of us have a sin sickness. All of us at some point in our lives have sinned. And that sin has separated us from God. Has messed up that relationship with God. And Jesus wants us to get well from that. And the way that we get well was through His death on the cross when He paid the penalty for our sins and by accepting Him as our Savior and making Him the leader of our life, we get well. I think secondly, while we're here on earth, God wants us to be well cared for. And I think that's why He says and promises, I'll meet all of your basic needs. I'm not going to give you all your wants, but I'll give you all your basic needs. I will make sure that you get the care that you need while you're here on earth. Third, I think He wants us to know that we are loved. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It was an expression, an incredible expression, of God's love for every one of us. And even beyond that, so that we will feel loved even while we're here on earth, He has given us the privilege of being placed in a community of Christ followers like this where we get to love and care for one another. And then I think the last thing God wants for our lives is for us to get home, to get to eternity with Him. Because that's what it's all about. But see, we have often made life all about filling our appetites here on earth instead of building a relationship with God for eternity. Here's what Jesus said when He was teaching one day. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the things of God. Notice he didn't teach. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to fill all of their appetites. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst so that all of their desires will be met in life. That's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the things of God of God. Why? For they shall be satisfied. Let me ask you, when you let let gluttony creep into your life and suck you into the black hole, do you ever get to the point where all of your desires really are fulfilled? Where you are really satisfied in life? I have never been fully satisfied by feeding any appetite in my life other than hunger, hungering and thirsting for Jesus and the things of God. And I will guarantee you, I can promise you from my life, it's the only thing that has ever brought true satisfaction. Let me pray for us. God, there are a lot of things in life that we can pursue. A lot of things that we think we're hungry for. A lot of appetites that we sometimes try to fill. Father, I thank You for this reminder this morning that none of those things bring real and lasting satisfaction. The only thing that brings real and lasting satisfaction in our lives is Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that You would place in us or remind us that You have already placed in us an incredible desire to know You and to be known by You. And Father, would You help us today, every single one of us in this room, to place our trust in You And you alone. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.